0: Welcome to Footy Time. My name is Johnny Raff. How are we all doing? Uh, round 12. Well, round 12 still currently in progress. Once again, joined this week by Mr. Daniel Andrews. How's it going, Dan?
1: Hey, Johnny. Going well? Yeah. Slight shame that we could only do the recording when a really good game's on, actually. So the brisbane Freo game's on as we speak. And yeah, if uh, Freo win that, they might actually... uh on, no, sorry. If Brisbane win it, they might take top spot depending if they get the percentage boost there. But, uh, yeah, great to be able to jump on to have a chat.
0: Yeah, no, excellent. And, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that game as it's going. Uh, You'll have to forgive me today. There's two things that are going to seriously impact today's show on my end. Uh, First of the obvious, yes, I do have a cold. And, uh, yeah, I know it sounds pretty nasty at the moment. Uh, I defied the best judgment and went to the game last night. But, uh, yeah. That's one thing. And I'm also (laughs) not at the regular recording location where I like to record. So, yeah, the audio might be a little bit different, but we'll soldier on. So, we'll get to our first point for this week, Dan. And, yeah, these were yours, actually. Um, Yeah, I guess thinking about the way the game is being played at the moment, what is the best thing about the way the game is being played right now, in your opinion, if there is one thing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So... I think this one's pretty simple from my end. Just the massive momentum that a team can get and what they can actually do with that momentum. So, uh, you know, once a team gets on a roll now, often it's just really hard to stop them. Like, you're getting quite quick goals out of set of bounces often or just this sort of surge footy. And, yeah, it's great to watch. Love seeing uh Obviously, it's good to see if you can get, you know, the momentum swings in a game. But even if it's just one team, absolutely uh, you know making the most of their dominance it's uh, quite a sight to behold at the moment in a game where you know you can't always score that freely but when teams get on these big runs of momentum it all just sort of seems to click and it, it's pretty good to watch
0: yeah yep yeah, well said i i totally agree i think uh, getting those spurts of momentum it is it is really good to watch and see teams getting ahead of steam up uh, Mine is similar really it, i think it's the 666 rule I think this has honestly been a stroke of brilliance by the Rules Committee. Uh, you think back to those years previous to that rule being implemented and just how much congestion there was in the game. Uh, it was out of control. I mean, you had, you didn't really have proper wingers. Everyone was just around that contest and the stoppage. The ruck position was pretty much on the verge of becoming redundant, especially with the um, third man up and things like that, which they also tweaked the rules for. Yeah, we now have a game where at a center bounce, whatever happens, it's up to your four mids at the bounce and your ability to win that center clearance and the the 1v1 matchups become even more important. You can still get numbers back after the bounce, which is, so you're not, yeah, you're not totally limited by that. It's not like they've gone full on zones, but uh, yeah, uh, it still gives you some kind of flexibility. And uh, yeah, I just remember when they were thinking of those ideas of how to clear congestion and that and... How there were some people saying things like, uh, you know, at the center square for a bounce, uh, not letting any other players into the square until the ball was cleared from the square. I, I didn't really buy into that one. I just thought, yeah, it's, I, I just don't like restricting the whole restricting players to certain zones. There, yeah, I just yeah. think that's a, a little strange. Yeah, how
1: we want to reduce or not have that restriction unless you really absolutely need it. But, Dragon, it took the teams a little while to actually work out how to actually use this 666 rule a little better cuz i remember the first year or two when they brought it in it didn't seem like teams were actually scoring that much out of these centre clearance situations there was a lot of turnovers at half back and there still are quite a few of those but it does seem like teams have gotten better especially when they are you know getting a bit of a roll on at uh you know making these centre-bounce clearances work for them with, with that 6-6 six, six, six formation?
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. Uh, yeah, uh, it would have taken teams... It would have been a bit of a shock to teams to go back to a certain style at the centre-bounce uh, where I guess everyone's sort of dead even. You haven't got an extra man off the back of the square or running in or... Um, yeah, even just putting a few extras behind the ball. I think it would have taken a little bit of time, and they might have just been going through the motions at the start and thinking, well, as soon as the bounce is done, let's just uh, I don't know, do what we always do and get get a number back or whatever or, or, or sprint forward, things like, like that. But, um, yeah, I just think right now it seems to be perfected where we've got a really good clearance sport.
1: Yeah, like I think it's definitely added complexity to the game. So now, like... It's gone beyond just, you know, boosting the scoring a little bit, I think. And, like, probably the jury's still out, whether, you know, it still has done that specifically. I think you could probably argue it has. But now, instead of just, like, having this situation where, you know, uh, you're a team that's, like, you know, getting on a roll and you've kicked a good goal... Now it's actually like really important what happens next in terms of, you know, going back to the middle and how many times, we've talked about this before, but how many times does an opposition just get it straight out of the middle and the goal you just kicked is basically gone in, you know, 30 seconds. So like yeah. it just makes the next thing that happens after a goal or that next minute after a goal so crucial now. So you either can, you know, really capitalize on what you just done in terms of kicking a goal or you might give it up straight away. It's just introduced another you know layer of strategy into the game like what do you actually do in that center clearance how tacky are you being uh what are your setups what are the opposition trying to do it's just this whole thing that we'd i think we'd kind of lost that side of things for a while just that you know almost kamikaze anything can happen type thing it's almost just open the game up at least for that you know 30 seconds to a minute after a goal has been scored
0: Yeah, there was definitely a period where I would never hear commentators talking about approaches to stoppages and, you know, who was at the front, who was the sweeper, who was on the side, things like that. It it was a, yeah, it was less important. Now you really are hearing commentators talk about that, I guess that craft, you know, the midfielders, the stoppages and what stoppage coaches are doing. Uh, Yeah, it's a, it's a good part of the game to get a handle on because, uh, it's, yeah, it's really the only, one of the few times in the game where you start with a perfectly even you know, uh, chance of winning that kind of, that ball.
1: I think it's created... Um, unless the
0: bounce is terrible. Yeah,
1: it's created good balance, I think, because like you don't want it to be too easy to score either because if you make it too easy to score, then scoring becomes less significant. You know what I mean? So there's still yeah. that peril of scoring being difficult, but... I think some of these the things the AFL's de- done in the last few years have started to make it just that little bit easier to score if you are on top, and I think that's definitely a good thing.
0: I think so. I think so. Um, there's nothing wrong with a momentum game. I think, and yeah, if the other team's got momentum, it's just up to you to defend well and stop it. And you know, there's no rules against playing tempo footy. You can slow things down. Do you, you do other things to slow it down rather than you know things that are making the game not look aesthetically as good.
1: Yeah, it's a momentum sport, isn't it, really? So it's it's probably a good thing that momentum, and that's like one of the best things about it. If we can, you know, feed that in different ways, keep that a big part of the sport, then all for the better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we both agree that's one thing that we like about the game right now. (laughs) Dan, what is the worst thing about the way the game is being played right now
1: this was tricky because like you could easily just jump on the umpires and say it's the umpiring i don't really (laughs) want to do that i actually really do like the way the game is being played right now you get lots of different types of games uh there aren't as longer periods in in these games where it's just sort of monotonous so I think the game has kind of worked itself out of that. Maybe the last maybe if you go back like four or five years ago, we we're getting quite a few games that were pretty hard to watch, maybe even not that long ago. But it seems like we're slowly coming out the other side of that. So for me, probably the worst thing about the game at the moment, and it's a bit of a nitpicky one really, is just the goal kicking. So you know, how often do you see a team kicking more points, or at least scoring more points uh, than goals, and uh, just teams unable to cap off their ascendancy with, uh, you know, putting it on the board by kicking goals? So we've talked about this plenty of times before in terms of you know if a team could actually become significantly more accurate than the rest, then uh, they'd have a good competitive advantage. But I think in some ways it does actually detract from the sport, the fact that, you know, it's an elite-level sport, but on the face of it, you've got these athletes missing very makeable shots probably more often than they should.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a fair point. Um, yeah, you know, I was tempted to go for, for uh, goal-kicking as well, but... I've actually gone with uh, the MRO, which isn't really about the way the game is <laughs> played at the moment. Um, but yeah, like just the unpredictability of that at the moment. Um, yeah, just the unpredictability of the MRO at the moment, not being able to tell, I guess, common sense anymore. I mean, we saw, I mean, they talked at nauseam about uh, Buddy Franklin on Trent Cochin last week. It's just almost impossible to to tell when what kind of method they're going to use for discipline in these decisions, I guess. Um, what, what are your thoughts on it then?
1: Yeah, on the MRO, I don't know. I don't really pay a lot of attention to it just because, as you've said, it's just become a little bit farcical a lot of the time. So, yeah, I just prefer, <laughs> I suppose, to pay a bit more attention to you know, what's happening on the field and moves that are affecting the way the teams are playing, but... Yeah, it's just a lottery and it really shouldn't be, but I guess that's sort of the way I see it at the moment and just whatever comes out the other side, that's sort of what I pay attention to rather than, you know, the all the goings-on with that side of things. But, uh, yeah, it would be nice to see some more consistency.
0: They, they are the two things that are just dominating the headlines at the moment is the the umpiring decisions, the dissent rule, and I feel like the met review. Decisions are also uh, literally all last week. All we heard about was was Buddy Franklin's uh, strike <laughs> on Cochin, and um, then the uh, comments from the AFL Legal Council uh, saying it was a cowardly act, and then coming out and apologising for that. It just dominated yeah, the mad. storylines, and it's yeah, it's taking away from the game, I think, and yeah, it's just it's disappointing.
1: It would be better, yeah, if we could have a bit less of that. I think there was a stage a few years ago where it was functioning a bit better. You know, these things went through a bit more smoothly, but I suppose whenever it's a big-name player, it's always going to create a bit more in the headline space. But, uh, yes, maybe some need for overhaul at season's end. Not sure whether they'll actually do it or not, though. Yeah, well, I think there
0: should be at least some tweaks made because it's just, the like I said, the common sense is just, gone out the window now. It's all becoming about how hurt the player was. The intent just doesn't seem to matter. And the fact that they, at uh, the Sydney defence, actually thought that this was a 50-50 to appeal is... I just think it's ridiculous. But, yeah, look,
1: they're just doing their job, I guess. Um, you got to try when it's but, buddy, I suppose.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But, yeah, that's something I don't like about the game at the moment. Sure. But, like you, I think that this is actually... A good time to watch footy. I think uh, I, I was a bit, just to add in, I was a little bit worried about the game going back to the 20-minute quarters after the oh, 2020 yeah, yeah. season. But I've got to say, the game is definitely, the, ga- the game at this length is definitely better than the game as it was before COVID, I think, with the 20-minute quarters.
1: W- why That's do you think the- that might be?
0: Oh, look, just the scoring's opened up. You've got the, uh, yeah, a lot, more, a lot more space, mm, yeah. uh, the stand rule. So some of those um,
1: tweaks have actually had an impact, even though we've gone back to the longer quarters, yeah?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think with people who think that uh, maybe it was too long and uh, that kind of argument, maybe they still think that, but I think they would probably have to agree that it's, it's a better watch
1: now. For sure, for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we'll move on to the next one. Uh, and this is another one of yours, Dan. Are more goals from free kicks a good thing or a bad thing in the game right now? There does seem to be a lot of goals from free kicks. What do you reckon?
1: Yeah, I was interested in this because, uh, you know, like probably most of the time I've been watching footy, you you had sort of almost like a different way of umpiring in the forward 50 to everywhere else on the ground. If if it was in the forward 50, you're almost like 50% less likely to get the same free as you would if you're in the midfield, and that was it was sort of this unwritten rule that you know you had to really do something pretty bad as a defender to actually get yeah. free kicked. Yes,
0: yeah. yeah, you had to earn your free. Yeah. yeah,
1: so I don't know. It just sort of seems like that has gone out the window this year, and they are the umpires do seem to be more willing to pay the freeze for you know the the smallest little you know arm around or the jumper tag or whatever it is. So. I think there's I don't have the stats on this, but to my eye there's definitely been more goals from freeze and we talked this about this a little bit last week, I think, about how that might be contributing to some of the extra scoring or just the AFL maybe wanting to open that up. But yeah, just thinking about whether it's actually a good thing or not. So I guess the example we can use from this weekend is uh, you know, Sydney had the run of the play in that last quarter against Melbourne and got two I think even neutrals would admit they are pretty soft free kicks. You know, a tiny little hold on Goulden. He goes back and nails a very good long shot and uh, a tiny bit of uh, Langdon getting into the back. Maybe that was slightly more there. But in years gone by, I reckon you'd probably have about a 10% chance of either of those being paid, yet yeah, they both get paid yeah. within five minutes. So, yeah, I think it's almost going to get to the stage where If if it continues like this, that we kind of just have to accept that, you know, if you are the team that is creating more chances, you're probably going to get more of these types of free kicks, and it's just it's almost like it's almost like a symptom of being on top that you're probably actually going to get more of these like free kicks that where you are getting more scoring in good scoring positions. But uh, yeah, so I think it's just different, and you know, people don't like difference necessarily uh so people will jump up in the air and say oh you know it's not a free kick it shouldn't be but maybe it's just the next evolution of the game that you know i said that it's different between what used to be different in the midfield and the forward line but really what's a free kick somewhere should be a free kick everywhere on the ground so from that philosophical point of view i don't think there should be a different way of umpiring for different parts of the ground where do you sit on this one
0: Oh, look, I I don't think there should be either. I think a free kick's a free kick. And yeah, that was kind of my answer to this question was, I don't mind if there's goals from free kicks if the free kick is there. (laughs) And look, there's going to be dicey ones. And you you cop those. You forget about those pretty quickly. I mean, it's not going to be correct every single time. But uh, I do also agree with that sentiment that uh, if you're first to the ball, if you're a good side that's, winning good contested ball or um, just working hard to get ball on the outside. And, yeah, the majority of the free kicks are going to go your way because it's usually the man in front. Um, there was a, an old sort of theory in soccer, actually, that uh, a lot of the good teams like, uh, yeah, Liverpool's and Manchester United uh, would always get uh, a penalty at, Either Anfield or Old Trafford, and it was. They thought it was like a noise of affirmation thing, but you can make an argument that those teams would usually have good players that actually ran at defenders often, and
1: yeah, and just making created
0: their own luck. So yeah, it was. um It's a similar thing with this, I think. If you've got a team that's you know first to every ball, well, they're probably going to get more of the free kicks at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, and I'll go into what I was saying a little bit more about it being sort of a symptom of good play, like. I think the last quarter and last night's game, Melbourne Sydney was a good example. A lot of Melbourne's entries in that last quarter were very congested, players around everywhere. You, you didn't necessarily have players, you know, getting clean looks at being able to, you know, really make good attacking plays. Whereas if whereas when Sydney got up the other end, there was more space, the players could be more dynamic, they had more chance to run, more chance to make space, and you're much more likely to actually get into a situation where you're gonna be Given a free kick, essentially, I think when you're in that more space, because you know someone might try and hold you, even if it's a tiny yeah. hold, or they might you know inadvertently pentacle, get in your yeah. back, so you're more likely to panic. So I think the idea of even if they're not always going to be the hundred percent right decision, the fact that the team that is you know sort of taking the game on, even if if they're going to be the one that gets the rubber green more often than not, I can't. I don't think that's necessarily a problem. It's just even more incentive to actually be that you know attacking team that's taking the game on.
0: Yeah, hundred oh, percent. Yeah, just get better at what you're doing, and yeah, the luck will fall your way if you yeah, fortune favours the brave. All that kind of stuff. For sure. <laughs> so, we'll just do a quick score check then. Uh, yeah, a time. Quite a time. The Lions are twenty and the Dockers are seven. So still early days, but. Uh, yeah, we'll keep checking how that well, one's it's going. it's
1: been billed as the best offense against the best defense, so obviously the best yep. offense is winning at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah getting getting through. Yeah. I'm sure it'll open up a bit more in the second half, but we will see how that goes. So this one's one that's – I'm hearing this a lot more as the weeks pass. How important is a big crowd at the footy in 2022, Dan?
1: Hmm. Yeah. So coming into the season, we had a bit of a chat about crowds. And, you know, I think we're both kind of optimistic that crowds would rebound pretty quickly. And maybe we're a little bit naive on that front. And the stats have been going around that, you know, crowds are significantly down. The average crowd is now the level that hasn't been seen, seen since, what, like 1996, 1997 or something. And, uh, you know, people get into one team's uh, supporters or another about not turning up for a game or you know so there's a lot that is going into this but philosophically before we maybe unpack this a little bit more i'm just not sure that getting a big crowd to the footy is as important in 2022 as maybe it was in 2010
0: yeah wow yeah it's a it that's i, I do think there is something to that um I definitely think that a crowd helps, but it doesn't help to the level that a lot of people think it does. I think it's like a you know, a one percenter in uh, influencing how a team plays. It definitely helps, but I don't think having 5,000 more fans would have uh, made a difference last night, for instance, for Melbourne. No, no. Um, but uh, yeah, that that is – that, that it's just something that I've heard a lot more lately, especially in some of the message boards that have been going on every week, especially with Melbourne. Every week, the question is why aren't fans turning up? Why are the crowds so low? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? And every week it's the same answer. It's always, Oh, well, you know, COVID people don't want to go out. Uh, the ticket tech fiasco, it's impossible to book tickets. Uh, it's, you know, it's a system that's hard to use. Uh, public transport's terrible. Yeah. It's the same things all the time. Uh, I guess last night was pretty cold. and A lot of people I heard were just happy to watch at home. Uh, fair enough. But, yeah, uh, in terms of is it important, I think look, I think it is a little bit. But uh, l- looking at some of these numbers, I mean, it's, there are people that want to go, obviously. But you can kind of understand why there aren't people going as well. So Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure what the future of it is, but... Uh, just pointing out, something from last night's game as well, and one of the message boards—I won't name it—but uh, <laughs> no, it was Demon Land. They—they um, <laughs> they were saying uh, I had never seen so much complaining about how quiet Melbourne fans were last <laughs> night, and uh, how that contributed. We—we we, yeah. the Sydney fans were so much louder, and they won because of that. Yeah. Oh, Dan! I, <laughs> seriously, I, people were potting the the demon army, the cheer squad, <laughs> that's just not doing their <laughs> job properly. It was an wow. absolute joke. I couldn't believe what I was reading. yeah, uh, yeah, uh, just, you know, that uh, we've come, we've become too entitled. Uh, we're so, um, you know, the bellies are full after winning the plague last year. We, we don't clap after goals. Now we only, we <laughs> only yell out if there's bad decisions or bad, uh, yeah, things like that. Uh, we uh, we're just tell totally you rubbish. Yeah. yeah you know, I, I definitely won my voice out last time. <laughs> but, yeah. Um,
1: we just got to yeah. look at what the AFL is, though. Like, essentially, it's a TV product. I'm not saying that people going to the games isn't important, but everything now is being optimized to get the best TV audience. You have the times essentially split throughout the day. If you were designing the round to have the most people go to the games, you would never schedule a 440 game. You just wouldn't. But- 100%. So
0: that's the dead zone. You
1: can't have your cake and eat it too. Like, sure, it's great to get good crowds. And I'm not saying the crowds are never going to recover. But if you're putting all your energy... Into basically getting as much money as you can for the broadcast. You can't then go and whinge that people, not as many people are going to the games. Like, you see what I mean here? Like, if they're Spot on. if they're saying Spot on. it's more important to get TV money than it is for people to go to the games, if it was the most important thing for people to go to games, you'd schedule every game at Saturday at two thirty, and then you'd get you know bumper you'd get higher crowds. But that's not what the AFL is. It's a TV product.
0: You've hit the nail on the head there. The emphasis is TV now, or it's Definitely tracking that way. And so, the, really, the in-game experience in person is secondary. I, I guess, in a way, by staggering the games more, you guess I guess you have more of a chance of watching other games if you're at one game and you can watch another one on TV or something. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> like, that. if they wanted that experience, uh, yeah, exactly, like I said, if they wanted that experience, they would go back to the regulation times of things and not... Have things in the dead zone time of 4:30, where it's smack bang in the middle of maybe I don't know people who want to go out for dinner or something, or finishing off the Arvo activities like you know going to Bunnings and stuff. Yeah, it's it's strange. It's strange. I, I guess a lot of this argument isn't coming from the AFL. No, match,
1: no, it's more a uh, of a fan-driven thing, maybe.
0: Yeah, like, I, I definitely see both sides of of. The fans' perspective of wanting to go versus not wanting to go, but it's a tough one, and it might take a long time to yeah.
1: Like like, don't get me wrong, I love going to a game, and I love you know when there's a big crowd there. But I just think maybe at least for the next few years, we just can't have this expectation that there's going to be a big crowd or as big a crowd as maybe we think there should be. And you know, with the way the world is now, people have changed their habits we may never actually get back to those pre-COVID levels or it may take a very long time. And I don't necessarily think that is such a bad thing. Like, as long as the game is healthy in other areas in terms of, you know, membership, interest, uh, people actually watching the games, people taking out, you know, the pay TV subscriptions, then I think the game can survive with not having huge crowds for, you know, all the games, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I tend to agree. I think this could be a next few years thing. Uh, if we're waiting for these massive crowds, it could be waiting. Well, yeah, it could be waiting a while uh, because there's yeah, there's just some things that are going to be a legacy from COVID, and yeah, that's just the way of life now. But I think the next piece of the puzzle as well is the new TV deal mm, because yeah. if that gets completely out of hand and uh, everything gets sold off and divided up. Maybe that's the best possible incentive ever to go back to the games in person. And we go back to the old days when there was no live games uh, in Melbourne on TV unless it was a sold out crowd. And you had to go. <laughs> Maybe we could go back to the future there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how well that would fly in the digital age. No. But yeah, I can, see, no, I, can no, see, no. I can see that sort of dystopian future would be interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's just fun to think about. Fun to think about. But yeah, there's a lot to go on that. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how close they are. I don't think they're close at all. But, but uh, yeah, like, we'll I find think it very soon.
1: the The underlying point is, I don't think the game is unhealthy because they're not getting as big a crowds as maybe they thought they would. That's that's absolutely my main point. Yeah, I
0: don't think. Yeah, you're right. I don't think it's the aesthetics of the actual game that are turning people away. I think it's a lot of other factors at hand there. Yeah, for sure. We'll get to some of the the footy content now. <laughs> uh, And this is about the Gold Coast Suns. So they had a a decent win over North yesterday. Uh, Close start, Uh,
1: but uh, yeah, I think they were down by about 20 points at quarter time. And just, yeah, really not that interested for that first quarter. And North took advantage. But thereafter, slammed on, I think, eight goals in that second quarter and just ran away with it. So that was pretty impressive considering Levi Casbot was out. I don't know what he's out with, but he's really important with for them. So hopefully they get him back soon. But uh, yeah, I just thought it might be a good chance to have a bit of a chat about the Suns. Obviously, they've yeah. had uh, not a lot of success in their, what is it, 10 years or so in the AFL. And yeah, I, there's going to be a lot of competition for those that last spot in the eight probably, but the Gold Coast are right there.
0: It's always when you least expect it. I find. Uh, I re- it was a while ago, but I remember uh, Frio, it, it might have been under Chris Connolly or something. They were going down the same track and they had a talented list, but they couldn't seem to get it together. But that, And they started a year quite slowly. I think it was like around 06 or something. Um, but then they just started to put it together and they ended up making the prelim that year. So, yeah, it could be a similar thing with Gold Coast at the moment. So they won about over 10 goals yesterday.
1: So what do you think is different about this Gold Coast team compared to some of the Gold Coast teams we've seen over the last three or four years? Why... Are they more competitive? Why are they more difficult to play against? I think
0: that, that they've definitely got much more of a a pressure-based forward line at the moment that's uh, willing to sort of sacrifice their own game to, for the benefit of the team, lock the ball inside 50 a bit more. They've got a little bit more experience in the midfield now. I think it, it took a while, but they finally got you know some older heads now to sort of guide them while they, you know, if the chips are down, they, they can sort of get them back on track. they got someone to kick to now. <laughs> that uh, helps, yeah. You didn't expect it. You didn't expect it, but I, I really think Mabry Scholl's been yeah, fantastic. Yeah, been a really it's good game for them. A lot of contested marks. Uh, we didn't expect it, and who would have expected that when Ben King went down? Um, and they've got a back line that is actually pretty darn good. Yeah, their really like, good. They get really the good. job done.
1: Probably they, I think that's probably the best part of their team. The I think line, so yeah. too. It's
0: very underrated and uh Sam Day's only just come back, so it kinda makes you wonder how good they might have been if Sam Day was in and Ben King was in to book in the team.
1: They're a pressure based team though, I think. Like
0: they're,
1: they are. they're definitely not a pushover team anymore, and I don't think you could've you could say that the last couple of years. It they might stick with you for a quarter or a half, but invariably they broke down. I think having wits back this year has made a big difference. He's a good competitor in the Ruck and is, yes, is yes. very rarely gets beaten. So, uh, yeah, just feeding that midfield and making sure they can play the game on their terms once they get things going a bit.
0: Yeah, and I think guys like Matty Rowe Real are realising that they don't have to be this sort of superstar midfielder as well. They can just um, you know chip in where they have to, make sure they're doing the team things. It, 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 I had this theory that it was a little bit tough for a team to always be having these high draft picks because they're used to being, you know, the top dog in their yeah, draft class, yeah. and they want to be the hero. So, yeah, look, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was always going to be a, a moulding experience, I guess, for the yeah. for those guys. But uh, they look like a, their midfield looks like not a bad cohesive unit at the moment
1: yeah they look like a team um, now and they've got some very winnable games in the second half of the season yeah so they play a lot of the you know bottom six sides they played a lot of the top eight sides already actually so to in the run home they've got uh among other teams they've got Adelaide uh Essendon uh West Coast Hawthorne again uh and North Melbourne so I think there's a few definitely winnable ones and they've got some more t- tougher games as well but They'll definitely be competing for that last spot or two in the eight. I think right up until the end, and who knows, they might even be able to pinch it.
0: Yeah. So I guess the question is then, at uh, what's their ratio at the moment? I think it's so six they're six and, and six, six, six and six. Uh, does that does that give you a good enough platform to go on? And play finals at this point of the year. Like I I know you said they've got those winnable games. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I think I think it does. Like there's so much there's, the only qualifier I'm gonna put on this is that there's gonna be a lot of competition for the those last couple of spots in the eight. Really, there's probably only one spot left if you take everyone above uh sort of Carlton and Sydney as, you know, probably bankables to get into the eight, that goes right yeah. down to seven. So really There's probably only one spot up for grabs. And listen to these teams who are competing for it. It's Collingwood. It's the Western Bulldogs. It's Richmond. It's maybe even Port Adelaide. But Gold Coast is right there. So all those teams now are between six and uh, seven wins already with decent percentages as well. So you're probably going to need 12 wins and a really good percentage or maybe even 13 wins to pinch that last spot.
0: Yeah, I think if I was one of those teams, I'd be really wanting the thirteen. But uh, that might
1: not even be enough. Yeah. Like it, it may not be. But yeah, it may not be. That'd be what you're aiming for, I think. Thirteen wins to try and get that last spot. So, like looking at that runner games, and they've got some other games, obviously that they would be uh, possibilities in. But uh, you know, they're just gonna put as much pressure on those teams around them as possible. Like they can only control what they can control. But you know, if Gold Coast go and have you know, even an 11-win season, but hopefully a couple more, then, you know, it's way more than probably anyone was predicting, especially after Ben King went down.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They've got a percentage of 108 at the moment, which is, I guess, out of those teams, maybe on the lower end, but, you know, you can always improve that as well.
1: And imagine that. Some of the better ones. Imagine if it was Gold Coast who kept Richmond and the Bulldogs out of the finals. Oh, (laughs)
0: Goodness, (laughs) Goodness, <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I, I guess yeah, it's, it's, possible. it's absolutely <laughs> possible. I mean, the Dogs and the Tigers, their percentage looks pretty healthy. Yeah. But there's a lot of games to go. That can change a little bit, I guess. But, um, yeah, oh, I think this is as well-placed as they've been since, yeah, maybe that, was it the 2014 season before mm, Everett yeah. went down? Yeah, like, so... Good on it. They, they should be feeling very confident, I reckon.
1: Yeah, well, you got to be in it to win it, don't you? And they're playing some good footy. They're going to be hard to beat up at Metricon. And, yeah, it's great now that they do have that home ground advantage. They play those greasy conditions very well up there that invariably yeah. is a lot of the time. So uh, yeah, it's great to see that they're finally making something them- themselves. I know they still don't have a lot of fans, but you know, if they can stay around long enough, they could probably build on that over time. And you know, the first step is becoming a functional footy team. And it seems like they're finally doing that first part, at least.
0: Yeah, it's, th- it's not going to be a fun trip up to Metricon for the rest of the season. I mean, there's some good games, I think, coming up. We've got Collingwood will travel up there on the 2nd of July, then Richmond the week after that. So, yeah, I reckon those two games, yeah, keep an eye on those.
1: (laughs) So, obviously, this was the first of the buy rounds, Johnny. How did you find having a couple less games this week?
0: Yeah, uh, look, I think it's it's a good way to go about it. I think (laughs) my view is really not that popular in that, I would love it if there was just one week uh, of just no take the point. week off, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone's got the same interest in the comp. Just do it like that. And everyone has a break. Everyone recharges and they come back real hungry. But this isn't a bad way. I think uh, having a split round over two rounds where it's like, do you remember when they did that? Mm, they had like yeah. four games one week and yeah. four. I thought that, that was, was a little bit meek. You know? yeah, yeah, I
1: really didn't like that. I think this is better than that, for sure.
0: I think this is better than that too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You've got to get that break in somewhere, though, and this is probably the best way to do it and keep the footy going. So, yeah, not too many issues with it. So we'll move on to our next point. And before we do, we'll just do a quick score check. So the Lions 21, the Dockers 19 with nine minutes to go in the second quarter. Okay, so quarter. they'll come back a bit. Yep. That's, uh, and someone's coming off and let's <laughs> see who it is, but he doesn't look to be... Oh, it's Zorko. Mm. Looked <laughs> like he was clutching his shoulder there. It is funny to do like it.
1: an around the grounds for something that will be over by the time anyone's actually listening to this, but <laughs> <laughs> it's something. It's nice a, about a it.
0: retrospective view. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you know, when you see all these videos on YouTube about how people react to a certain sporting result, this is a bit <laughs> like that. So we're just going to talk a bit about uh, Melbourne. Uh, so that. Obviously, lost the second game of the season last night. The first time that they've lost two in a row since late 2020. Uh, who were those two games against, Dan, that we lost to in 2020?
1: Uh, that would have been Frio and Sydney, yeah. So, uh, yes. Who <laughs> were the last two teams that we lost to? I only just thought of that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good memory, good yeah.
0: memory. Interesting, interesting. Uh, so, yeah, it's... A little bit of a fork in the road for the D's at the moment. Uh, well, great win from the Swans; their grand ball game was incredible. Uh, but for the D's, there seems to be a bit of work that needs to be done. What What are the two things you can think of that the D's need to address immediately to get their season back on track?
1: Yeah, yeah. So they're definitely looking a lot more mortal now, and uh, I think most teams would, if you you know, took away a couple of the things that were really they were really strong on and they're just completely gone right off. And I think the fact that Melbourne were as close as they were in this game, probably a little bit of inaccuracy from Sydney, but also shows that they are just a well-drilled team that even when a few things aren't working, they still found a way to actually stick with it. And, you know, they are in front for a while there. But uh, two things. So uh, they're getting absolutely smashed on turnover – points differential yep. so uh there was a stat i pulled off the afl website so let me just quickly get this one because it was a good one so l- last week against Freo, they were outscored by 35 points uh from uh, turnover and this week against sydney it was 50 points and the 35 was the worst differential in Melbourne's last 36 games. So you can, that's tracking cool. back quite a long way now. Uh, so, yeah, Melbourne is a turnover-based team. You know, that, that's when they were at their best last year. Obviously, they could score from stoppage as well, but they were generating a lot of score there. So that is a big worry, the fact that essentially the turnover, scoring from turnover the last two weeks has been almost zero, really. Well, what it, yeah. it was last night, maybe not quite zero the week before. So that's one big thing. So we might, yeah, there's a few reasons for that. Maybe we can have a bit of a chat about that. But the, yeah. other, the other big worry for me is just the fact that we're almost getting nothing out of our key forwards. Like Ben Brown last three weeks has been almost unsighted. And then we have Tim yep. Mac going out with an injury. We've missed him. Uh, you know, you bring Mitch Brown in. He's not an AFL player. People like to give him a chance, but. He just doesn't do enough. I think even a Wiederman who might only bob up and do one or two things, you're still going to get more out of Wiedemann than you are out of Mitch Brown at AFL level. So I I just think at, at AFL level, it is very hard to win a game of football when you're two key forwards, you're basically getting nothing out of them. So it just makes it hard to get a winning score on the board. So those are two huge things that I think there's a lot of things that go into trying to address those two things, but, yeah, if Melbourne can't address one or both of those against Collingwood, they're going to get rolled. That's 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 how I see it, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, 100% agree with that. Uh, I think it doesn't matter which way you slice it. If they don't get something out of this forward line soon, then they're just not going to kick a winning score. I mean, <laughs> the last two weeks, what we scored 58 and 60, something like that,
1: 61. Yeah, about that.
0: It's just not going to do it. We can rely on someone like Bailey Fritsch to do it as much as we want, but he's going to end up just getting sat on. Yeah, so we're, I'm just trying to think, where did the goals come from? Last so Gorn, uh, Gorn kicked Fritch, a couple. I think
1: Fritsch and Gorn were our main goal kickers, and there was a few around the edges. But really, yeah, outside of that, the forwards are pretty much unsighted.
0: We obviously needed uh, Gorn to go up front when T-Mac was another late withdrawal. Which doesn't sound like a great injury at the moment. Yeah. Or like possibly a Liz Frank
1: injury, which Jeez, that could be really Can bad. be
0: complicated. A lot of crossing of the fingers at the moment, but uh yeah, that's something that may not even just be season threatening, it could be career threatening. Yeah, so, foot
1: injuries can be absolutely terrible. Like, you know, careers have been ended, and even if they're not ended, like you can be so far the inferior player to what you were that yeah. it's just it almost is career ending even when it's not.
0: Yeah, and he's had his toe issues before and things like that. So, yeah, fingers crossed on that. But he definitely offers quite a lot when he's playing, even when he's not playing that well. He does a lot of work off the ball. He's, you know, bullocking and, yeah, running guys out of position. Whereas last night, I looked at the forward line and there were just a lot of stationary players waiting for the ball to get kicked on the head. And,.
1: So what are, your, yeah. what are your two things, Johnny? What are, what do you think Melbourne needs to fix? I, well,
0: it definitely, it, it would be easy to just say the forward line, but I definitely think something needs to happen up forward. We need, if we're going to play, because last night was a throwback to the vomit long game, and mm. that can work, Time that can only work if someone's crashing the pack and getting that ball to ground. And we had none of that last night. I would say in that second half, literally, Every yeah. time we went into the 50, a Swans player was there to mark it.
1: It was strange, though, because in that first quarter, they it looked like they were making a conscious effort to not bum it long. And exactly. they didn't have that many chances, but it actually worked. You know, they did actually hit up some targets. They got yep. some goals. They were efficient. And then I don't quite know what happened. It just completely fell away for the rest of the game.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can't tell you what happened either because the, the – the types of decisions that were being made changed. Uh, basic skill errors, like three-meter handballs being missed, that you know at one point you yeah. would have backed them into to be nailing those skills. Yeah, maybe maybe being caught in two minds. I saw Charlie Spargo decide to centre it a couple of times when maybe he could have had a shot. Not going to be too critical on that, but yeah. Look, as I was saying, that that bombing it into the fifty can work, but the only way it'll work is if we get the ball to ground, and there's no way for us to play a pressure game hmm. if an opposition is marking it all the time. No, so, no, I guess those were the two things. Those are the two things that we really lacked last night, is someone up up front who could at least just crash the pack and get this ball to the ground, and um, well, yeah, well, I guess it's chicken and egg, like, but the forward pressure was not we weren't able to exert the forward pressure because they marked it in um, yeah. forward 50 how, so much.
1: How much do you think of that is on the forwards versus how we're actually, you know, delivering it inside the 50 and actually sort of building it up around that 70, 80 meter mark? Because I think when teams are at their most dangerous, they actually do use that extra possession to, instead of get getting it yes. in for 70 or 80, bring it in from 50 or 60, and then you're going to get it into a much better position in general. And I think, I do remember seeing players sort of hanging around that area but they just they weren't being used
0: yeah it's that's, that's true uh, I would say it's a bit of a cop out but I would say it's a bit of both <laughs> maybe sort of a 60 40 mm. midfielder. yeah because we just we we just weren't lowering the eyes we weren't thinking it through much you had a lot of ha- I thought Jack Viney played a pretty good game but uh, looking back at the highlights, there were a lot of dump kicks and yeah. hack kicks by him without thinking. And, you know, uh, I'm not saying that that isn't a useful skill sometimes, especially if you're doing that pressure, kick and rush kind of thing, surging that ball forward. But it clearly wasn't working in the second half. We needed a little bit more calm. We needed a little bit more patience even in the build-up. Yeah. And, yeah, we just not getting it.
1: So what do you make of the fact that Melbourne has – one of the lowest pressure ratings really for the whole year. So that was one of the hallmarks of Melbourne's game last year. And, you know, we weren't really being made to pay for it in that first part of the season where we are pretty dominant. But these last couple of games, the fact that you can't score from turnover, is that somehow linked to the inability or the unwillingness to actually put pressure on because they kind of go together, don't they? Like you you can't get good turnovers if you're not pressuring. And if you're not pressuring, it's easier for the opposition to score as well. And without, you know, Stephen May back there, there's a few holes.
0: Well, I think that's also another thing I want to bring up is that we really underestimated and we shouldn't have. It's pretty obvious that he's one of our most important players, but you can underestimate the importance of Stephen May's role in the team. And I just think he's the one player in that back six that we just cannot cover. I mean, we can do without Jake Lever for a couple of games, we can do without a Petty or uh even a you know Salem we've been sent, been alright with it. Uh, but um he's just the one guy that yeah, you can't go next man up with because of not only what he does on the field but also what he t- the way he sort of arranges yeah. the back line yeah. he, he's in their ear, he's he's telling people what grass to mark and and he's always in that right spot when he needs to be. There's been a ton of goals lately that we've conceded where the contest just needed to be killed with a big punch and, yeah, yeah, the cohesion's not there. We just haven't had uh, that guy in the right position. And Yeah, I I think that having him not there means that you've got – well, you know, Petty's been banged up a bit. You've got Tomlinson who's only just come back. It means that Jake Lever has to play more one-on-one. Yeah. And it just alters things a bit. He's not able to do that sort of, you know, roaming back 50 role where he can peel off where he wants to. Uh, so it just, it alters things. I know it's a very simple thing and it sounds like an excuse. And trust me, I hate excuses when it comes <laughs> to Melbourne, but it does alter the way that we play. Much like they're not having Tom McDonald up forward, to yeah. so
1: yeah, it's, I think
0: that's a big part of the intercept game.
1: Yeah. So, just one other thing, I've been sort of thinking a little bit about. I think a lot of Melbourne's great play over the first ten weeks, and there's also, you know, last year as well, particularly the back half of last year, was built on you know running ability, both offensive and defensive running, and just you know making position, outworking the opposition essentially, and. Especially after the first quarter last night, there was just very little of that. You, you mentioned how static the forwards were, but there's just, you weren't seeing that, you know, overlap run, people weren't doing, maybe they yeah. were I didn't see much of it.
0: Just that little extra 5%. They, yeah.
1: they weren't, I didn't see a lot of unrewarded running or people making space or just the hallmark of what generic. Melbourne was about when, you know, they would, at their best, really, it just seems to just not be there the last couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, yeah, especially a good point with the overlapping runs and things like that, running in numbers, uh, and then just sort of, I guess, putting the icing on the cake, which is important, the ability to, mm. to execute. But it, it does also go back to what you were saying. I didn't actually answer your original question about the pressure. But, um yeah, I think... It is a part of the game that has to be at a certain level. And if it's not at that certain level, then we just – it doesn't work without it. It doesn't work without that ability to lock the ball in the 50 for a decent period of time. Yeah, we talked about the forwards being static and people not doing the overlapping runs. I'm going to bring up something that you definitely talk about, Dan. And, okay, I got a tiny bit frustrated with it last night, but I do think there's something to it, and that's the training regime and the loading and the deloading periods. Is it possible that we've decided to do the loading at this point?
1: Remind me exactly when when it was done last season. Was it around this time or was it a little bit later?
0: I feel like it was a tiny bit later. I feel like it happened maybe around the Essendon game, maybe?
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, I think... I don't exactly remember the timing either, but I'm pretty sure at least part of it did overlap with the Collingwood game where Melbourne were just yeah. putrid, and that was yes, the first yes. game after the bye. So it, I think at least part of it was somewhere close to where we are now. So it, it is possible that they just shifted it, you know, by a week or two. But just, like, I remember, because I was looking out for it, so I do remember seeing one of these, like, really good efforts, you know, this sort of unrewarded running was in the first quarter last night. Melbourne were in a good open play, and you could see. I think it was Harms and maybe Neil Bullen were like beelining towards the fifty. There was barely a Sydney player near there. Somehow he managed to not get a goal out of it. Couldn't quite yeah. get it on from that contest, sort of near half forward. But that was the only time I remember actually seeing that sort of, you know, you know, busting a gut run where you're really just stretching the opposition like that. So it's one of it's been one of Melbourne's hallmarks, and like there has to be a reason for it. It doesn't just go away by itself. I don't think like the players no. aren't just going to stop doing it. So there has to be a reason why they haven't been able to do it as well the last couple of weeks.
0: I mean, I guess if we're thinking of theories. I don't know. Could, you know, Petrarch has looked a bit, a little bit off in the last few mm. weeks with this illness. You know, is it possible that an illness has gone yeah, through the club? It's definitely it's taken off that five percent of running ability. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it sounds it sounds like a lame excuse. But it's a very possible. It's a plausible yeah.
1: reason. Like we're not saying that you know I don't know they do sound like excuses, but we're just trying to work it out because like they're all factors. Yeah, it's just a factor. Like Melbourne was a dominant team or seemingly a dominant team, and then you've got had two pretty meek performances. Like uh, like they were in the game last night, but really. They there was a lot to be left to be desired, I suppose, especially in that second half. And kicking two goals, I think it was. Maybe three. Two, I think.
0: Uh I think it was two goals six. Yeah. Yes. Well, hopefully it gets back on track. They've got a bit to think about. Queen's birthday game next week. Uh yeah. There's no better way to turn it round. Uh with a big performance on that day. For sure. And you've got a Collingwood team that's up and about. They just had a pretty yeah, big win today. It's going to be a great well. one. It's going to be, yeah, one of, the, one of the better ones for a while, I think. Uh, but we'll wait and see. I think, yeah, it's going to be one of the pivotal games in Melbourne season and also in Collingwood's. For sure. Yeah. Well, that is all we have time for on footy time today. We'll just do one last score check because it's <laughs> half time in that game, Dan. 28-27. to 27. What do you take out of that?
1: Well, it's a pretty low-scoring game, and, you know, Freo slowed Brisbane down because it looks like they've only kicked the one goal in that quarter. So, yeah, anyone's game, but uh, it sounds like it might have got back onto Freo's terms there. What are you thinking?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm taking that as advantage to the Dockers. I think if they're holding a team like Brizzy to that score at half time, that's a huge tick, huge tick. So, yeah, we'll see how this uh, second half goes. <laughs> yeah but uh, yep that's all we've got time for we'll be back next week with more free time uh, Dan again thanks for coming on
1: been great thanks Johnny
0: and yes yeah, so we've got the last no the second this next week the second week of the uh, the split round yeah Yeah. so yeah there'll be uh, a few less games next week but yeah some good ones and hopefully your team can bring home the chocolates for you that's That's it for us. Bye for now.